Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to THN on the O. The OHL season is finally wrapped up. The Peterborough Pizza Champions. And as always, I am here to be joined by Brock Otten. What did you think of the finals? Just quickly, what was your first takeaway from it? Awesome. I, I thought it was a really good final, especially game six. That was a that was a very exciting game. It, it kind of had a bit of everything and it went right down to the to the wire. And I, I don't think you could have asked for a, a better finish to the OHL season. Yeah, there was some rough stuff right at the end. Guys were in the penalty box when the game ended. It was a, it was a fun, fun game. Playoff hockey. So let's get to the three stars. I think uh, the first star, he won MVP of the playoffs and got the Gretzky Trophy. Michael Simpson, the goalie of the Peterborough Peets. What an outstanding performance by this kid. Yeah, he was everything Peterborough needed him to be, right? Uh, you don't win in the playoffs. OHL, AHL, NHL, it doesn't matter, right? You don't win in the playoffs without good goaltending. And Michael Simpson was just that for Peterborough. And he was deservedly named the OHL playoff MVP. And I guess the question I might have for you, Tony, is do you think that this maybe gives him a chance of getting drafted in his last year of eligibility? I think it at least gives some teams some thought. I think teams will look at him and go, maybe we sign him. Maybe we give him an AHL deal or something. Drafting an overage goalie at that age, I know teams are a little bit more friendly towards drafting goalies overage because they generally do have a longer runway anyways but it's going to be interesting because it is kind of a hot end to the season he's been really good for peterborough he we talked about it before the final series he doesn't need to be the best goalie in the world he just needs to be the best goalie in the game and, and with london kind of playing backup goalies throughout the series with brochure out it made it a lot easier on him and at the end of the day he had some really good performances throughout this series so do i think he gets drafted I think that's still a bit of a long shot, but I think he might get a pro contract out of it. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you completely. I think that he's probably still a long shot to be drafted. I mean, he's not the the biggest goaltender in the world. And um, I think the overall, he was still pretty inconsistent this year, even though he did step up his game in the playoffs. But uh, uh, yeah, he he was fantastic for, for Pito, especially in, in the final. Now the London Knights were the losers in the final, but that doesn't mean they don't get any love during the three stars. The Twinterton line, Denver Barkey, Easton Cowan, and Ryan Winterton were absolutely fantastic from start to finish. I know Barkey and, and Cowan both missed a, uh, a game in the, in the final, but man, these guys really were driving the offense for that London Knights team. Yeah, I mean, you said it. They, they drove play. Uh, whenever they were on the ice, it, it seemed like it was tilted in favor of London. And those three were really fantastic together and individually. And yeah, I, I mean, uh, I kind of wish that Ryan Winterton was just that year younger or was maybe not likely to turn pro because I would love to see what that line did over the course of a full year. Yeah, that would be a really interesting thing, right? Obviously, he was traded to the team. He's a guy that, man, it, it would have been really fun to see that trio go for, through an entire OHL season together. But at the end of the day, I think it boosted the draft stocks of both Denver Barkey and Easton Cowan. You're starting to hear them creep up where we talked about earlier that they could be mid-round guys, four or five. 
you're starting to hear them in this two, three rounds uh, discussion. So it's going to be interesting to see where those guys get drafted. Who do you think goes first out of those two? Honestly, before the playoffs, I, I might have said Denver Barkey. After the playoffs, I, I think I'm going to say Easton Cowan. I know we talked about this uh, a little bit. I don't know if it was last week or the week prior, but I think that Cowan is just maybe a little bit better athlete. I think that those projectable physical tools are just a little bit better with Cowan. And I think that his game really gained confidence over the course of the playoffs, I felt, especially his game with the puck. Uh, with the puck. I, I felt like for the majority of this year, he was kind of like – the complimentary piece on his line. He was willing to get his nose dirty. He was the type that would, you know, be the F1. He would be the the first guy back in his own zone. He would work hard to to earn his touches, but he wasn't necessarily a play driver. And I felt that in the playoffs, that switch kind of turned. And I felt like him and Barkey almost reversed roles. I felt like most of what London did was because Cowan was the leader in the offensive zone and was the guy that was pushing pace. And I think it kind of gave me a new outlook on his on his ceiling as an NHL player. And I, I was actually talking to an NHL scout about Callum the other day and, and how he might even be as high as a, a second rounder now in, in the eyes of a lot of people. Yeah. I think both guys are a little bit undersized, but both guys will be drafted quite high relative to where they were judged at mid season point because of how good they were in the playoffs. So it's going to be interesting to see. And now for a third star, it seems like a perfect time for us to debate who the third star could be because their Peterborough team had a lot of really, really good performances. And while I think yours probably edges my guy out, uh, I went with Avery Hayes. He led the team in goals in the playoffs. He was absolutely fantastic. Scored the opening goal in the, in the final game. They clinched the series. But, man, Tucker Robertson was just as good. So uh, give me your case on him. Yeah, I mean, Tucker Robertson was fantastic. He, he really was. He was the stir or the straw that stirred the drink for, for Peterborough. Um and it's kind of interesting that we're not mentioning Othman here only because he was the guy who led Peterborough in points in the playoffs. But I just felt like Tucker Robinson was just the more consistent overall player. Um, I felt like sometimes Othman's antics kind of drew negative attention to the Peets. And we even saw that in the finals where he put his team at a disadvantage. And I think that Robertson was just, just solid. I mean, I mean, there's no other way to describe his play. Uh, I don't. I can't think of a time where, or a shift even where he wasn't one of the better players on the ice. Yeah, it was really fun to watch him. And Avery Hayes just came up big in every moment that he, that they they needed a goal. He was so good this playoff series. That's why you bring in a guy like him in, a, a veteran guy, an older guy in the OHL, come in, score some big goals. He's got playoff experience, and at the end of the day, he's going to be a really valuable piece for for the this Peterborough team going into the Memorial Cup going forward. But I think both these guys will be. It's, it's going to be fun to see because, like you said, Othman is still there. I'm doing a, a big uh, Memorial Cup preview piece for the, the Hockey News website. And Tucker Robertson was still the guy I went with as the X Factor for this Peterborough Beats team because he does so much for that team. He really affects the game in all three zones and understands how to be the guy in every moment. So it's going to be interesting to see what this Peterborough Beats team does. But, Brock, I have to ask you, you got this series right. And as has been habit throughout this playoffs, especially in the second round and beyond, I got it wrong. So what was it that you think went right for you? What's the expression? Is it even the blind squirrel finds a nut? Uh, you, you and I haven't been great with our predictions uh, over the course of this playoffs, but uh, I did feel pretty good about Peterborough in this in this playoff series for the championship. And 
honestly, the, the easiest reason to, to explain why Peterborough came out on top was just London's health, right? Um, you know, losing Cowan and Barkey for a game in a seven-game series, that's huge, right? When yeah. you take apart your, your top line that's really clicking, that's tough. And then you lose Brett Brochu. Uh, you end up going to your third-string goalie for, for games five and six. And, yeah, he was great in game five. Um, you know, wasn't as good in game six. It, it was just, I think, too much for, for London to deal with. And when you consider that Peterborough is, is a solid team, um, it, it was just too much. Yeah, at the end of the day, I think the physicality of the Peter Peets, they were a very mature team. They're an older team, a team built for a run like this. We'll get to it later when we get to some of the mailbag questions, but London is a team for the future. I think they've got a long road ahead of them, and I think they're going to be just fine at the end of the day. So let the Peter Peets have their roses this year. Go to the OHL, get the OHL title, and go to the Memorial Cup. And I think that leads us into our next topic. The Memorial Cup is coming up. It starts at the end of the week. And the Peterborough Pete's will be representing the OHL. What do you think of their chances in the in the Memorial Cup? Well, I mean, they're pretty good. Uh, any team that's going to the Memorial Cup, I think, has a chance. I think that there are a lot of different factors that go into how a team plays in the Mem Cup. Um, one, how they adjust to things like the time change and the travel. Two, you know, how healthy they are and how much of a rest they got. I mean, you look at Kamloops, the hosts. They didn't have to do battle the way that Seattle, Quebec, and Peterborough did, right? Um, with their, we'll call it early-ish exit in the WHL playoffs, right? Um, so they're going to be well-rested. And that's really helped some hosts in recent years. Um, Seattle probably, I would say, is the favorite on paper. At, at least in my opinion, I, I think yeah. that this is a team that it's just so solid from top to bottom. Um, Thomas Millich is playing out of his mind right now for them. Um, they run uh, an offensive unit as deep as Peterborough's, if not deeper. They've got talent on the back end that I think definitely dwarfs some of the teams coming from the other regions. Uh, so I, if I were to pick a favorite, I would say it's definitely Seattle. Uh, but I do think Peterborough has a chance. I, I think that they are an aggressive and a physical team, which is going to bode well when it comes to matching up against those two Western powerhouses. And um, I think that they have managed to stay pretty healthy going through these playoffs, which is obviously important too. Yeah, I think the big thing for Peterborough is they are the the most physical team of, of the bunch, in my opinion. But I think they also have the advantage of playing the most simplistic hockey. And that's not meant to be an insult at all. I think they play a very standard brand of hockey they know they're going north south they're attacking the net they're playing a, a game that isn't predicated on super high skill moves isn't predicated on a, on a single guy standing out and doing everything they've got we've talked about a number of them and we'll get to them when we talk about some players to watch in a, in a minute here but they've got a number of players up and down this lineup that really could just impact the game and i think that's going to be the difference maker for the Pedro Pete's. are they the favorite probably not I, I i agree with you the seattle thunderbirds are loaded that team is is jacked it's it's insane some of the talent they have on that team they brought in the guys like brad lambert and dylan genther they they've got existing talent like kevin korchinski it's going to be a really hard time beating them but if a team's going to do it we see it in the playoffs all the time whatever league we're in whether it's the ohl whl nhl ahl whatever it may be sometimes a team can just get in there four check you to death beat you down and absolutely steal a, a couple games 
And in a tournament like the Memorial Cup, a couple games is your tournament. Like that could be over. And the Peterborough can go in there and do 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 that to the Seattle Thunderbirds. It could be a, a, an opportunity for them to win. So I certainly think there's a chance, maybe even if they aren't a favorite. But let's get to some X factors. Who do you think is one player to watch so far, uh, just to start things off? Yeah, I think the first name to throw out is Owen Beck. And it's a name we haven't talked about because, one, I don't think he's been as good in the OHL playoffs as I, I think many of us thought he would be or, or hoped he would be. Uh, two, he's been suspended and that is likely to, to carry over to the Memorial Cup. Um, he's got to step up his game for, for Peterborough to triumph over some of these juggernauts from the other CHL leagues. Uh, he's somebody who is capable uh, of more than he's giving currently. And obviously, he's a highly touted NHL prospect. He was having a good year before the move to Peterborough. And I don't know if he's necessarily fit in as well as many people thought he would. I think that there's still that potential for him to be in the NHL next year. And I know that a lot of Montreal Canadian fans are already penciling him into sort of that bottom six role. But uh, yeah, I mean, you'd think the way that he plays the playoffs would be sort of a haven for him. But thus far, he, he hasn't been uh, as good as I, I thought he would be. So given that he's going to be coming off a suspension at some point during this tournament or sometime during the beginning of this tournament anyway, uh, I think he's definitely X factor number one for me. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting with him because he does play that playoff brand hockey. I, I talked about many a times that the Peterborough Peets are peaking at the perfect time. The team that's been kind of up and down, not really been able to mesh, is finally meshed together. And the one really missing piece from that that uh, equation has been Owen Beck. We've seen guys like Brendan Othman come together, a Avery Hayes. They've had great playoffs. Owen Beck's the one guy that hasn't. And one of the guys that I want to talk about is Brennan Othman. This kid's been absolutely fantastic in the playoffs. Like you said, he, sometimes his antics take away from his overall game, but that's the kind of thing that works in the playoffs. We saw him in the box to end the, the OHL final, just kind of getting into it behind the net. He's constantly engaging physically. He's constantly being a super pest, and he's putting up a lot of points as well. If he can stay out of the box and be that offensive difference maker that we know he can be, the Rangers prospect is going to be one of the best players at this at this event. He's going to be one of the most entertaining players at this event. And it's going to be a really big deal for the Peterborough Peets if they can get this guy going in there, get towing the line, not quite crossing it, but still getting under the skin of the opponents because there may not be a better player in this entire Memorial Cup at doing that than, than Brendan Othman. Yeah, you used the line that I was going to use, and that's towing the line. And that's something that Othman just absolutely has to do. Uh, in a short tournament like the Memorial Cup, you just cannot put your team at a disadvantage. And he needs to play that pest role and he needs to excel in that role. But he needs to do it without, like you said, and like I said earlier, the antics, right? The the spear to the groin that he gave Logan Mayu <laughs> that didn't get called, the you know, the the scrum behind the net that, you know, uh, I, I think London probably takes that trade off with yeah. considering who he went to the box with late in that game. Uh, with Othman being such an important player for the Peets. I mean, if London scores there, how bad does Othman feel that he's sitting in the box watching them tie that up, right? So, um, yeah, I, I think that he's definitely a, a good choice along with Owen Beck. I, I think the third one that I'm going to go with um, is Tucker Robertson, and we've mentioned him a whole bunch. But, you know, he, he's been probably the most consistent player in the OHL playoffs thus far. And 
he's the kind of guy that excels in all situations for Peterborough, right? They, they need a big face off. It's, it's Tucker Robertson. They need a big penalty kill. It's Tucker Robertson. He's on that top power play unit. He's in front of the net tipping home goals. Like he did in game six, right? He is, he is that guy for Peterborough. He's been captain clutch for them. And um, he's going to have to continue to, to be that at the Memorial cup for them to find success. Yeah, I think Tucker Robinson has been absolutely fantastic. And another guy that was very good throughout the OHL playoffs, especially in the final, was J.R. Avon. And I think this is another guy that goes to show you the depth of this Peterborough team. They've got a number of guys can, who can attack offensively. And the, the Peterborough hometown kid, J.R. Avon, is one of those guys. He got two breakaway goals in, this, in the final series. One of the most exciting players when he's on his game. I think he could be the, the X factor, the secret weapon that the Peterborough Peets need to kind of produce some of that secondary scoring at a really high level. He's showed off the skill. He showed off the speed throughout this, this year. He, he's a guy that I think we've all kind of been waiting to fully bring his game all together because there's so many flashes of this really high-end player. We just haven't quite seen it yet. So could the Memorial Cup be that that time when he's able to do it after what we saw him do earlier in the OHL playoffs? It's going to be really interesting because he's definitely a guy to watch. Yeah, I think he's the one guy on Peterborough that you you really need to game plan for too. When we're talking about the other teams, you know, watching video and and strategizing, Avon's speed is such a difference maker for the Peets. And with some of these teams, or all of these teams, I should say, not really being familiar with a lot of these OHL players outside of maybe some international appearances together, you know, he's the one guy that that those Western and and Western teams in Quebec really need to make sure that they are ready for because he's going to catch defenders flat-footed and he's the type of guy that in, in a short tournament like this I, I think could have a really strong performance all right brock before we move on from the memorial cup and the peterborough peets where do you think they get to in this tournament do you think they reach the final and do you think they win it i think they reach the semifinals. um if i was giving a prediction right now I'm going to say it's a Kamloops Seattle all dub final. Um, that's nothing against Quebec. It's nothing against Peterborough. Uh, I just look at those two rosters and, and think these are the two top teams. I've kind of felt like all year that whoever comes out of the dub was going to have a really good chance at, at a Memorial Cup this year. And uh, I think that's sort of where my head is, is at currently. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's going to be a, a all WHL final, but I do think if one of the two teams of uh, out of the the OHL or the QMJHL are able to break into that that group, I think it's going to be the Peterborough Peets. I think if Michael Simpson has a good Memorial Cup, he could be kind of a difference making factor in that w with the depth of scoring and the physicality that they play with. At the end of the day, though, I do think the Seattle Seattle Thunderbirds end up taking it, but you can't count out the Kamloops Blazers because they've got Owen Be or o Olin Zellweger and Logan Stankoven, who led the WHL in playoff scoring despite not making the final. So th there's a lot of firepower out West. It's going to be an entertaining event, though. Yeah, absolutely. I'm psyched. All right, now let's move on to our 2023 draft spotlight. We've got a couple of guys, and I want to start with a defenseman here. I know you listed uh, Kerry Terrence first, but I want to start with Quinton Burns because he's a guy that the more I've watched tape of recently, the more I've been intrigued. This is a kid that's got a little bit more skill than maybe that, sh that shows all the time, and he plays with some physicality as well. This is a really fun, interesting player. Yeah, I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. He's, he's just a well-rounded defender, and I think where some of us have had trouble sort of 
pinpointing what he's going to be or what his projection is, it has a lot to do with the fact that Kingston just wasn't great this year, right? And and he was one of their main defenders, but at the same time, that team just wasn't very consistent. And that's a lot to, to ask for, for a young defender is to try to be a, a consistent two-way player on a team that spends a lot of time in their own end, right? So um, Burns... I think the top thing or the, the thing that I always notice first about him is just how physically aggressive he is. You know, he's not the biggest guy, but but man, is he hard to play against. He, he's kind of got that throwback mentality. You know, he's he's given guys the lumber in front of the net. He, he loves to lower the boom. He's got a, a definitely a keen sense for for that open ice hit. He's somebody who, who really plays a suffocating style. And I think we saw that early on at the U18s too, before he got hurt. And uh, if anything, he's got a really solid projection as sort of a modern day physical stay at home type. And like you said, though, the, the hands and the creativity and the overall offensive ability might be something that we're underrating just because I think he kind of had to play a, a more conservative style in Kingston on a lot of nights. Yeah. I think the big thing with him as I've been recently rewatching a lot of his tape is that I think that the tools are there. I think we see some of the puck handling ability. One of the plays I watched was him kind of shift left on at the blue line. As soon as the, the, the defender kind of bit, he was able to kind of cut right, get into the, the slot and make a, a nice little pass to the back door as everyone kind of focused in on him as he carried the puck into the offensive zone. If he can do that from time to time, I think that's where that offensive ability comes out. I don't think he's ever going to be this dynamo. He's not going to be a Kale McCarr, a guy like Brent Clark in the OHL. That's not his game. But he can be a pretty decent offensive producer, I think, on the right team and still have that physicality, still have that defensive game. I think there's still some brain farts and stuff like that that he needs to work out defensively where he goes and chases a hit. But this is a guy that I think has the tools that a team can look at and go, this is a sweet little ball of clay, and we just need to mold him into what we want. Yeah, I look at his skating as being the number one thing that I think he needs to upgrade. I don't think it's it's not a, a major drawback. I mm -hmm. don't think he's a poor skater by any means. But when we look at some of the other defenders available this year, uh, I would probably put Burns in sort of that average range, um, especially when we're talking about sort of that linear quickness and his separation ability to try to help him get away from the forecheck and, and to try to actually be more of a difference maker in transition. Um, so I think that as he's able to improve that, I think we'll start to see him be more of a consistent offensive producer. All right, let's jump over to Kerry Terrence now. The center for the Erie Otters played at the U18s for the American team, the only non-NTB kid that went over there. This is a kid that I think has been underrated a lot in the OHL this year. He had 30 goals and only 17 assists, but it was, wasn't because he wasn't really the guy driving play. There just wasn't a whole lot of talent around him at times. So what do you think about his game? Yeah, I really like Terrence. Uh, I think that uh, the skating ability is is the first thing that jumps out, right? He is lightning quick. And not only is he lightning quick, but he's also somebody who has really good agility, especially in the offensive zone. He catches a lot of defenders flat-footed coming off the wall because he just has so quick moving east-west. Um, and his shot is a real asset. I think it's a really underrated component of his game too. And you combine those two things and you have sort of that quick strike player. I think that he wasn't ready for the type of role that he needed to play in, in Erie this year. And I think that helps to explain a lot of the consistency issues in terms of production. Um, I think that as that Erie roster 
grows together, he's going to be somebody who is a real difference maker at the OHL level. And I think that I agree. I think people are sort of sleeping on him right now because not only does he have more offensive upside than I think a lot of people give him credit for, he's also a very good defensive center and somebody that could play on the penalty kill at the next level, um, could play more of a defensive role at the next level if the offensive game doesn't really develop. I think that there are a lot of different paths to the NHL level for uh, Terrence. And I think that he's a guy that probably gets drafted higher than a lot of sort of the independent scouting community is projecting. Yeah, he's definitely a guy that I could see going in the mid-second round and people go, really, that's who you're going to take? And and then as we see him develop over the next couple of years, it'll make a lot more sense to people. And, and just kind of any fan that hasn't watched the OHL. And at the end of the day, not everyone's going to watch every league. And that's the beauty of doing what we do. We get to see, see a lot of these players at a young age, and we get to see their development their development paths. And I think Kerry Terrence is going to be an interesting one going forward over the next couple of years because he does have a lot of finishing ability. He's got the speed, like you said. And when we saw him with better players at the U18s, we saw some of the playmaking come out as well. So I think... That's going to be an interesting thing to see develop over the next couple of years because I think this is a very, very good player. Let's move on to our NHL team of the week, and that's the Minnesota Wild, though. We've got two prospects, and that's uh, center winger Hunter Haight for the Saginaw Spirit. was playing with the Barry Colts earlier this season. He had 21 goals and 39 assists for 60 points in 62 games, but that was 51 points in 42 games for the Saginaw Spirit. He only had 14 penalty minutes and was a minus eight on the year, but he was a positive player with the Saginaw Spirit. A lot changed when he had the, after that trade. Yeah, uh, definitely. The trade definitely sort of saved his season uh, in terms of a progression stamp or from a progression viewpoint. Uh, 100%. He was so much better with Saginaw than he was with Barry. And for whatever reason, moving teams, definitely kind of lit a fire under him because he was definitely getting ice time in Barry, but it just wasn't working. And in Saginaw, I felt like we really saw him be a, a lot more consistent, uh, especially from an offensive perspective. Uh, I think that he's somebody that has a real well-rounded game. Um, we kind of just talked about that with, with Kerry Terrence, but I think that Hunter Haight is, is sort of a similar kind of player in, in that there are a lot of different solid components to his game, right? He's got a good release on his shot. Uh, he skates pretty well. He drives the net. He's very like middle of the ice focused. He, he definitely plays between the hash marks. Um, he flashes sort of a, a physical abrasiveness, uh, tenaciousness. And I think that as he gains strength and, and gains confidence, that's going to become an even larger component to his game. And I think that that or unlocking that is going to be the key to him finding success at the NHL level because with sort of that even keel profile, um, I think finding a way to be a more consistent pest is going to bring out some of those other qualities in his game. Yeah, Hunter Hate was a guy in his draft year that I looked at and I went, well, he has this tool and he has this tool. He's a good skater. He's got a decent shot. He's got some creativity in his playmaking ability. But why don't I like him? What mm -hmm. is missing? What What isn't being put together? And we're, we started to see that in Saginaw. You started to see him put things together. And I talk about chaining events together when, I, when I'm drafting, when I'm scouting guys and I'm looking at different players. And I think that's the big thing that you started to notice when change with him when he got to Saginaw. Is he started chaining plays together. It wasn't just about this flash of part of a play. 
he was making a pass, getting into the right position and still being able to be a, either a passing option or a shooting option. He was doing a lot of things that were very, very good after that and ma- just making better decisions at the end of the day. Was it a better environment? Was that just better chemistry with his teammates or whatever it may be? Because like you said, it wasn't like he wasn't getting ice time with Barry. It just seemed to be a fit thing. So maybe that open system in Saginaw that we've talked about many times this year just kind of opened th- things up for him offensively. It's going to be interesting to see where his game goes over the next couple of years as he develops and goes pro. But he's definitely a guy that has these flashes of brilliance that you're like, why don't we see that more on a consistent basis? So he's certainly an interesting player. Let's move on to the, the other prospect in the system, though. Servek Petrovsky for the Owen Sound Attack. 24 goals, 31 assists, and 55 points in 64 games. Also had 14 penalty minutes, was a plus four. A very good complimentary player on a very good Owen Sound team. Yeah, I think the biggest compliment that we can give Petrovsky is that he's a meat and potatoes player. Yes. And, and I mean that in a positive way. He's a very versatile player. He's somebody that can play in any situation. And I think that the offensive upside probably isn't really there. He's, he's not somebody that's going to play uh, in the top six of the NHL level. He, he might not be like a, a top nine guy at the NHL level. We might be looking at more of like a PK, solid complimentary piece on the fourth line. Um, but uh, he's definitely somebody who is likable. And the energy and effort is always there. Um, he's definitely got a high IQ. He's definitely a strong player off the puck. And I feel like the offensive production, even though it was a strong Owen Sound team, and even though it was a very balanced in terms of ice time, Owen Sound team, I felt like I expected just a little bit more more from him this year in terms of uh, a progression. But uh, I think that's nitpicking a little bit. I do think that he's a solid NHL prospect and somebody who does have a future, even if it's in more of like a fourth line depth role. Yeah, I agree with you. I think when I looked at his stats, when I was when I was getting everything ready for his profile today, I was like 24 goals. I expected 30, 31 assists. I expected 35 to 40. So he just kind of went under the thresholds that I was kind of expecting for him this year. But I still think there's a lot to like. Like you said, that energy, the effort's always there. This is a guy that can play on the fourth line at the next level. He does the right thing a lot of times. I think this isn't a guy that you're going to look at as being a game breaker, like you said, but he's going to be a guy that isn't going to burn you. And I think that's important at the NHL level. We Oftentimes we look at the team's fourth lines and we go, yeah, like there's a reason that guy plays seven minutes a night. or that, that Yeah, that guy plays six minutes a night, and I, I get it. With a guy like Servic Petrovsky, I could see him being one of those fourth liners that creeps into that 10, 11 minute night on a lot of nights because he can play on the PK. You can rely on him in a situation in the defensive zone. This isn't a guy you have to worry about making a mistake. And I think that's the biggest thing with him is he makes the right play at the right time. And as much as the offensive upside may not quite be there, you're still getting a very good prospect, I think, and, and a guy that can play at the NHL level. Let's move on to our mailbag, though. We, we haven't done a mailbag in a while, so we put out the mailbag. We got a ton of really good questions. And right off the top, let's go with Kevin Linker's question. And he says, who would you say opens as a favorite to win the OHL next year based on the current roster construction? I feel like you alluded to my answer earlier, Tony, and I'm going to go with London. Um, I think neither you nor you or I uh, believed London was going to make it as far as the OHL championship, maybe even halfway through this year or even three quarters of the way through this year. Uh, But they did. And this is a young team that's returning a lot of its core. Yes, um, they're leaving. Uh, they're losing Logan Mew. They're losing 
Uh, Sean McGurn, they're losing Brett Roshu, but the Hunters always find a way to replace these guys, be it through the import trap, be it through trade, be it through just bringing in players that were drafted previously. And this is a team that I think is entering the next OHL season as probably the favorite, one of the favorites, definitely. Yeah, I, the reason I alluded to it earlier was because it was also my answer for this question. I think you talked about losing certain guys. You're losing Logan Mayu. You've got Sam Dickinson. You're losing Brett Brochu. You've got Zach Bowen. You're losing different guys. You have guys that are already there to replace them who had good seasons in their own right. Like you said, the Hunters always find other guys to supplement the roster with. I think no, next year will be no different. So I think London really is the team. And even if they don't add a ton of high-impact guys, filling in the gaps around a roster centered around uh, Denver Barkey and Easton Cowan up front, Sam Dickinson on the back end, they've Oliver Bonk, like they've got a lot of guys that are going to be really good impact players next year for this London Knights team, and you just need to supplement around them. Would it be awesome if they went out and got a guy that can kind of be the guy on that team? Sure. Maybe one of those guys ends up emerging as the guy, though. You don't need that. that. So it's a very, very good roster as constructed, and it's the London Knights, so they're always going to outperform what we expect, even in a year where we kind of talked about them at the start of the season as – Maybe this is one of those re weird rebuilding years for the London Knights. Yeah, they'll make the playoffs, but are they going to make much noise? Then they finish near the top of the conference, make a run to the OHL final, and give the Peterborough Peets a pretty good fight. Now, Sebastian High's question is, how would you develop Luca Pinelli if your organization drafted him? And this is a really interesting question. Yeah, the first thing I kind of thought of or the first place that my mind went was strength training. I, I think that... Pinelli is never going to be a high-end skater at the NHL level. He, he's just not. Um, you know, and, and strength training might unlock some more power in terms of his quickness, but he's never going to be probably more than an average mover uh, at the NHL level. So I think the key is just making him stronger so that he can play the way that he does, sort of that tenacious, pesky, forechecking, high-energy style, which makes him successful at the OHL level. I mean, the focus has to be, let's continue to do that at the next level. And that's how he's going to be successful. And I think that that's got to be priority number one. Yeah, I think uh, piggybacking on what you said, get in the gym, do some squats, improve that explosiveness on his feet. I think improving the shot, and that's going to come with strength as well. Just kind of working on the things he already does really well and improving them. Uh, you talk, I think Steven Stamko said this years ago where he was once told that a coach told him not to worry about his weaknesses, to just double down on his strengths. And I think while I think every player should worry about their weaknesses because not everybody is Steven Stamkos, um, a guy like Luca Pinelli, if he works on the skating, gets it up to average at the NHL level, a lot of other things can kind of bring him to be an NHL prospect and like the tenacity, like the hardworking nature. He's a guy that's willing to throw a hit every once in a while. I think in the top prospects game, which – Take from it what you will. He laid O'Connor Bedard, though. So that's a, a thing that you don't really see that often. This is a guy that loves to get in there physically. So I think working on the things he already does really well, along with bringing up that skating, like we said. The next question is, is Tucker Robertson one of the best steals of the draft? And that's from Casey Lee. Yeah, I mean, we just talked about him for, I feel like, 10 minutes on this episode. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's an easy answer. I felt like he should have gone even higher last year, despite the fact that he was a re-entry. Um, I know I kind of had him pegged for more in that like 
early third round range just based on the year that he had and i think there are quite a few nhl teams that are kicking themselves now for for not you know to using a selection on him a little bit earlier yeah i think at the end of the day you look at the reason why he was a re-entry and that was because the ohl season was canceled this is a guy that probably should have gone a little bit higher he was a very good pick and Hey, the skating has improved, and I think that was the biggest knock on his, his game. It still has a little bit to go, but he's showing improvement, and that's always a good sign. Now, Josh asked, which player could be on the move this offseason? Yeah, so I kind of I thought a lot about this question, um, and there was three names that sort of like stuck out to me as possibilities, and they're Hunter Bustavich, Ben Goudreau, and Owen Beck. Now, the last one, Owen Beck, it, a lot of it is going to depend on whether he's in the NHL, and you know, if he does start the year in the NHL, he's probably more of like a OHL trade deadline target. Uh, but Goudreau, while this thing, they're going to be rebuilding, he maybe is coming back for an OA year because San Jose announced they're not going to be uh, signing him to a contract. So he's going to go through the draft again. Maybe he gets drafted. Maybe he doesn't. Uh, maybe he does return as an OA. But if he does return as an OA, he's the type of guy that I could see moving in the offseason to a team that, really wants to address their goaltending before the season starts um, and who has some OA room to play with. And then Bruce Davich, same thing. I mean, Kitchener is going to be rebuilding, rebuilding next year. He's an 04. I could see a team really looking to him to try to beef up their blue line before the start of the year. Uh, Kitchener, if they get the right you know, offer for him, there's not really a, a reason to wait for the OHL trade deadline, in my opinion. I think that He's the type of guy that if you get a good offer, you move him. Yeah, 100 percent was my guy as well. Let's move on to Sean Brown's question, and that's, is Mike Oak the GM of the year? How would you have voted at the end of the regular season? It's usually named before June. Who do you think should have been named the GM of the year? Well, I mean, hindsight's 2020. I mean, <laughs> Mike Oak, it looks like a, a great choice now because all of those moves paid off, and, and Peterborough captures the OHL championship. So, yeah, I mean – He's kind of a, a slam dunk answer right now. But at the end of the regular season, I honestly probably would have went with Mark Hunter. And I just, there's kind of a couple reasons for that. Number one, I, I feel like it was just his patience and poise, just kind of waiting out that slow start and, and trusting that his team could put things together. And then you look at some of those subtle moves that he made this year, you know, bringing in Winterton, bringing in Humphrey. Um, those were, were really big moves for for him this year and uh winterton especially fit in perfectly with the twins um in that line that we talked about right so uh, i would say uh mark hunter would have been my top choice at the end of the regular season i am gonna sound like a huge homer here and i'm gonna go with bill bowler and windsor i think the fact that his team was very very good surprised a little bit i think even you and i and then he went out and added some names like shane wright he went out and added Jacob Holmes, uh, Brett Harrison, he went out and added to a team that was already very good. Yes, they disappointed in the first round. They they looked absolutely terrible in the playoffs, but he went and did his job. The players didn't do theirs, and unfortunately, it looks bad on him, but I always look for GMs that, that are going to go out there and, and, and kind of set, like sell out. Go for it. Make sure you make the move to put your team in the best position possible. And Bill Bowler did that just about as good as anybody in the OHL this year. So I I, I lean him, especially because they did finish at first in the conference. 
obviously the playoffs skewed a little bit, but uh, prior to the regular season uh, or prior to the playoffs at the end of the regular season, Bill Bowler probably would have gotten my vote. Who is your way too early prediction for next year's scoring leader? Yeah, so uh, I kind of have a couple names to throw at you, and I, I feel like our names are going to be pretty similar based on the discussions that you and I have, have had this year. Um, the first name is David Goyette, and I feel like that might be one of the first ones that you thought of. Yeah. Another name is Matthew Poitra. Those are the two sort of highest scoring returning players. And then the third name that kind of jumped out to me was Michael Misa. I, I think that mm. he's somebody who could really – jump off the page next year on a good Saginaw team. And I mean, we've seen it with some of the other high end exceptional status players, you know, McDavid had the same sort of jump in, in that second year, John Tavares, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So um, those are the three that kind of came to mind immediately. Yeah. My guy was going to be David Goyette. Matthew Portress was going to be right there. I think if anyone has listened to the podcast long enough, they've heard me praise David Goyette and his exceptional playmaking ability and just the ability to make anybody around him better. Like you said, Michael Mesa is a really interesting one. I didn't think about him, but he should have been first in mind because he was so, so good in his exceptional status season. I don't think he's getting the love that he deserves because he did miss some games. He didn't quite approach the scoring marks that the other guys did, but on a per game stat basis, he was better than just about everybody. So I think he's certainly going to be up there and that's going to be a really fun race to watch. Let's end it off here with who is the top OHL riser heading into the draft? We already talked about him. Uh, for me, it's Easton Cowan. I, I think his performance in the playoffs really opened some eyes. I think it really helped people to understand what kind of player he's going to be at the next level. And I think it helped change the perception on his upside, maybe from being more of like a bottom six guy to maybe even a middle six or top six player. Uh, I think that he's without a doubt the biggest riser in the OHL over the last, you know, two or three months, in my opinion. Yeah, I think Easton Cowan's a very good answer there. It's probably the guy I'd go with, but I'll give you a couple other answers. And one is the other twin, Denver Barkey. I think he had an exceptional playoffs. He was fantastic for that London Knights team. The twins were fantastic all year long. So I think it's really interesting to see where they go in the draft, because I do think we could see both of them go in the second round. It wouldn't shock me completely. And the other name I'll give you is a guy we just talked about. And that's Luca Pinelli. I think what we saw in the, his brief OHL playoffs, he was very, very good, especially in that first round, absolutely tearing it up. He led the, the 67th in scoring in the playoffs. This is a kid that at different points this year was challenging for the highest scoring uh, OHL draft eligible player. So I think, He's going to be a guy that teams at least circle back on and look and, and maybe start to go. Maybe that second round does fit where he, he should get drafted. And it's going to be interesting to see where he goes, because like you said, the skating issues are kind of there still. He's a really fun player to watch, though. And uh, overall, this OHL draft class is going to be really interesting because really there is no surefire top guy. Colby Barlow kind of holds that that mark. But guys like Quinton Musty, Cal Ritchie, Hunter Bustevich, the, the Twins, Pinelli, Going up and down the list, there's so many guys from the OHL that we just don't know which order they're going to go in, who's going to go where, and, and in what round they're going to go in. So it's going to be really interesting. But without further ado, that comes to the end of the episode. We thank everyone for listening. Brock, any final words on the episode? No, I think I just want to say thank you to all our listeners. So this is episode 30 for us this year. This is the last episode of the regular season or playoffs or whatever you want to call <laughs> this is our This is our swan song of... Uh, the OHL season before we start getting into more draft content. And I just want to thank everybody for, for following along in our first season of doing this. 
30 weeks of doing this with you, Brock. It's been a pleasure. Make sure anybody that's listening uh, rates, reviews, subscribes to the podcast, wherever you're listening, Spotify, Google, Apple Play, or Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. As always, we'll see you next week on THN on the O.